This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, offering members-only discounts that can save you thousands of dollars a year. Find out more at carp.ca. Good afternoon and welcome to the Zoomer Week in Review, all things Zoomer worldwide. I'm Libby Zneimer. Former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien shares his memories of the Queen ahead of her funeral. And this season, many of us will host the first in-person gatherings for holidays in years. Iconic culinary guru and teacher Bonnie Stern has a new book with a message. Don't worry, just cook. But first, here are your Zoomer headlines from around the world. Germany has agreed to one of its largest financial reparations packages for the world's remaining Jewish Holocaust survivors, including a $12 million U.S. emergency fund for 8,500 survivors who remain in war-torn Ukraine. The entire package is worth a total of $1.2 billion and will be dispersed next year, mostly to help cover health care for the aging and dwindling population of survivors. It will also fund Holocaust remembrance education for the first time. Germany signed its first Holocaust reparations agreement with Israel in 1952. AARP has found six surprising ways that COVID has changed friendships for older adults. The group's new study finds strengthening relationships with friends and family now plays a more important role for most respondents. Zoomers increasingly used and are using technology to stay connected, but more than three-quarters say they crave face-to-face interaction. During the pandemic, close friends grew closer Male friendships suffered, and attitudes toward COVID-19 cost some, some of their friendships. Following the death of Queen Elizabeth, people in India are calling for the return of a diamond that was set in a crown made for the Queen's mother. They're demanding the 105-carat oval-shaped Kohinoor, which means Mountain of Light, be given back. While its exact origins are unknown, it was most likely discovered in South India in the 13th century. It has a history of being part of war booty in South Asia, and many see it as a symbol of colonialism. The 83-year-old billionaire who owns outdoor apparel maker Patagonia is giving away the company. Yvon Chouinard will ensure that profits go towards fighting climate change and protecting undeveloped land by transferring the company to a trust and a non-profit organization. The rock climber turned billionaire founded the company 50 years ago, and it's now valued around $3 billion. Chouinard's relinquishment of the family fortune is in keeping with his long-standing disregard for business norms and his lifelong love of the environment. I'm Libby Zneimer, and those are your Zoomer headlines from around the world.
Along with three other former prime ministers and other dignitaries, the Right Honourable Jean Chrétien will be part of Canada's delegation to the Queen's funeral tomorrow. He knew her for more than 50 years and he shared some of his memories with me. In 1970, it was a centennial of the Northwest Territory. And uh, Aline and I, we were the hosts of uh, the, the Queen, Prince Philip, Prince Charles, and Princess Anne. And we traveled from one Eskimo village to another one for uh, four days. And we started in Frobisherby, that is Iqaluit today. And we terminated in Fort Providence in the southwest of the Northwest Territory. So we went from the northeast to the southwest of the north in different villages. And she met and the princes and the, the princess were talking with everybody, inquiring about their way of life and how they were living. And they were showing some of their uh, animals and their uh, product that they were producing and so on. It was a very exciting period, a very, for me and for Aline, we were quite young. We were a bit uh, surprised uh, to be the host of the royal family for four days. And, uh, and of course, I was in one plane with uh, the Queen and Prince Philip, the twin daughter. But as uh, the Prince Charles was the, uh, had to be in a different plane, and it was with Princess Anne and my wife Aline. So we traveled that way for four days. And at noon, at noon and uh, night, we were stopping in different places to have some uh, meeting with the local citizens. You traveled in small planes. Was she game for the things that were uh, less than five stars? Oh, she was enjoying it quite a lot. Uh, you know, Prince Philip enjoyed very much to be sitting with her taking the seat of one of the co-pilots because he's a, he was a pilot and he was quite excited to fly in the north. And I would sit with the queen and she had a air marshal uh, with her who was uh, speaking good French. So she used four days to practice her French with me. And uh, it was pleasant. We, you know, how many, we spent hours and hours talking about everything, and it was extremely pleasant. She was want to know about my life, my family, my where I was educated, and you know where I was elected, and the kind of family and background I had, and so on. And Aline too. So it was a very nice uh, few days. And did you find that she revealed things about herself to you? But I don't know, you know, I did not try to get anything uh, that was improper. You know, we were having a discussion like two citizens will have normally, you know, talking about the family, talking about the, you know, the weather, talking about my life as a minister and her life as a queen and all that jazz. You know, she was a very great human being and it was a normal conversation. There's a wonderful story from the signing of the Constitution in 1982 that involves you and a pen and the Queen. Uh, please tell us about that. But it was a signing of the new Constitution, and uh, the Queen signed first, Trudeau signed the second. I was to sign the third. And when I took, sat down, took the pen, and Trudeau had broken the tip of the pen. <laughs> 
So when I took the pen, you know, I tried to sign my name on this very important document and it was not working. So I said something. And you can see in the picture, the queen looked to her left, left to her right, and Burton laughing. And I had said something, and the press was asking me, what did you say? I said, I cannot tell you, it's a state secret. A state secret. But in reality, I had used the word merde. <laughs> and she was perfectly bilingual. She understood very well what I meant. And you know, when she was having a burst of laugh, so I took the other pen and did the finish the signing. But it was a broadcast for a long time. And, uh, you know, I, you know, I have many, many stories. Uh, one time she had seen me five times in a year and a half. So she did not expect me to be there. When she saw me, she said again. And I said, Your Majesty, I am the royalist from Quebec. It was not in a way a great compliment. <laughs> I am. But, uh, you know, we had, uh, you know, extremely good personal relations. When was the last time you spoke to the Queen? Was supposed to go, but because of COVID, uh, you know, Prince Philip had told me, he said, when you come to England, why don't you call us and come and visit with us? And I was supposed to do that, but I had no occasion. He went and now she's gone. But I have great souvenirs and it was uh, a pleasure to, to be with them and for Aline and I to come from Rural Quebec to be with them was kind of special, very much so. And uh, I remember at the end of the four days in the north, the lady of waiting said to my wife, Madame, you have not made one protocol mistake. Aline, a very studious person, I'd look at all the books and get brief on that. And, she, you know, and she was very meticulous and we survived quite well. Your final thoughts on this passing? But she has been a model to the world. I said many times, you know, traveling the world, and I was sometimes in different countries with her, the Commonwealth, and she was extremely well-received, a lot of enthusiasm. You know, in my traveling, the two personalities that attracted the same respect was the Queen and Nelson Mandela. You know, when they were there, you did not exist as prime minister and so on. People did not pay attention to us. They were just concentrating their attention on the Queen or Nelson Mandela because they were um, people of one kind only, very rare to have personalities with uh, who attracted so much respect. And uh, I'm lucky to have lived a lot of a happy moment with the Queen. And it's too bad she gone, but 70 years of service, you know, will not be much again, ever. By anybody, I guess. Monsieur Chrétien, thank you so much. That was fascinating. Merci beaucoup. À la prochaine. À la Bye-bye. prochaine. Bye-bye. That was former Prime Minister Jean Chrétien talking about Queen Elizabeth II. I'm Libby Zneimer, and this is the Zoomer Week in Review. Coming up, if you're stressed about the prospect of hosting the first in-person holiday gathering since COVID, or if you just need some inspiration, we have just the thing. You're listening to the Zoomer Week in Review, brought to you by CARP, fighting to hold politicians accountable for better health care. Find out more at carp.ca. Food 
is all about comfort and connection, and that may be more true than ever over the next few weeks. Many of us will be hosting the first in-person holidays since COVID, with Jewish High Holidays and Thanksgiving around the corner. Best-selling cookbook author Bonnie Stern is promising that she has done all the worrying for us in her new book, Don't Worry, Just Cook. I've wanted to do a book for a long time because I felt that I still had more things to tell people, but I could never find sort of the right time or the right way or the right idea. And then during the pandemic, we were talking about it and we've always cooked together. We love to cook together. Um, she isn't a professional cook. She's actually a speech pathologist um, by training and as a manager now of her department, but she loves to cook and she's a great cook. And she's a beautiful writer. And she just seems to be able to sort of translate the stories that would take me forever and make it into a concise, wonderful story. The title is Don't Worry, (laughs) Just Cook. What does that address? You know, we were trying to think of a title and I said, you know, don't worry. I always say don't worry. And um, she wanted a title. And I said, it'll come to us, you know, after we finish the book and, you know, we talk about it and everything, the title will just come. But she really wanted a title. And so she said, you know, is there any saying that you say all the time? And then she went, you you say, don't worry all the time. And so don't worry, just cook came from that. And I think also from the fact that I've always helped people with their cooking problems and try to make cooking fun and easy and accessible to people, having the cooking school for so many years. And people sort of feel more comfortable when they know the things that can go wrong and what to do about it. And so I've always sort of thought of myself as a social worker in the kitchen. And so <laughs> We're coming out of the pandemic. I don't know if people are going back to the extent that they ate takeout or restaurants. I mean, do you have a sense of that? Are people going to, because a lot of people started cooking in the pandemic. Yes. What's up with that? I think that people probably can't afford to do takeout all the time. I mean, it's very expensive. It's very, that's what I was going to say. I don't think people are reverting. Going out to eat is extremely expensive and takeout also. Even when you go shopping, the, it's very expensive it's now, very too. Expensive. All the prices Food are Food inflation up. is huge. So, so it is, yeah. And I think people will want to cook more, and I hope that they do. I really hope that they do, because cooking for people and welcoming them, you know, into your home and taking care of them by cooking is really a wonderful connection. And it really uh, fosters friendship and community, and I think it's an important aspect of our lives. I mean, as well as being nutritious and nurturing and all those things. Would you say, in some ways, because literally there were generations of people that didn't cook at all, kitchens were also smaller, that the pandemic in some way saved home cooking? I hope so. I really hope so. I think home cooking is the most nutritious and the best for you. i You know, I don't think that you can really beat it in any way. And I don't blame people for not wanting to cook every single meal. But at the same time, I think cooking is a wonderful way to express yourself and to put yourself into recipes. And I hope I've given people a lot of information that they can be creative with my recipes as well as making them. 
I'm looking for a theme here. I see a lot of Middle Eastern food, which is very healthy. Very healthy. And I do have a lot of Middle Eastern restaurants in it because I have been taking uh, groups to Israel for culinary um, excitement, I guess you could say, and also learn about the culture because there's so much about culture in food, no matter where you travel to. And um, I love the food. I started going 2003 and I saw that there was so much potential. So what are some of the other themes in the book? The themes are recipes that have um, made sort of uh, mean something to me. So there's lots. There's from some of the chefs that have come to the cooking school. So there's Italian. There are, um, of course, Italian recipes. I love Italian food the way just about everybody does. There's French food. There's Asian food. You know, so there's a lot of different things in here. And um, some are new recipes. Some are older recipes. Some are revamped recipes. But most of them, I'd say, are my favorite things that I love to cook for family and friends. And so it's a very personal book, very personal. The pictures are gorgeous, but it is definitely home cooking. It's not fancy, dancy towers of, of food that's put together by tweezers. No, no, definitely fancy, not fancy, and home cooking and approachable and things that you can do. I don't think that there's really any photo that is couldn't be redone. Now, I've seen you made a note about one thing that can drive you uh, bananas if you mm-hmm. have family over, and that are that's the food restrictions. So. You, you, oh you're God. putting a dinner party together <laughs> yeah. and one person doesn't have gluten and one person doesn't have meat and the next person doesn't eat fish and and on and on it goes. So how do you deal with that? I mean, I'm laughing because I have a husband who's lactose intolerant and I have a daughter who's gluten intolerant. Anna, who wrote the book with me, is gluten intolerant. So you can do things on a certain level, like do things vegetarian or vegan so that everybody can eat it. I mean, that's one approach. But usually what I do is I have enough different things that people can have a meal out of the different ingredients or the different things that I'm serving so that even if someone is vegetarian and I have a fish course, you know, there's enough vegetables and there's the appetizers, they're usually vegetarian. Depends who's coming, you know, but you think about it and you, it, it is a good thing to know before they come. Bonnie Stern, thanks so much. Wonderful being here. Don't Worry, Just Cook by Bonnie Stern and her daughter Anna Rupert is published by Appetite by Random House. And that brings us to the end of this week's edition of the Zoomer Week in Review. I'm Libby Snymer. Thanks for joining me today. Be sure to come back next week to stay up to date with all things Zoomer worldwide. Zoomer Week in Review is produced by Zeev Hadi, Christine Ross, and Paul Thomas. Technical producer, Justin Eacock. Executive producer, Moses Neimer. This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.